our, our main goal, our main strategy of connecting people is connecting to a life group. Many of you guys get life at life group. You guys get connected to our church through life groups. And also through evangelism, you go out and preach the gospel. That's how some of you have have been brought into the church and into, into life groups through evangelism. We have preached the gospel to you. You have believed the message, accepted the message, got saved. And some of you guys got baptized. Either you have the wind retreat, some wind retreat, or past, some past retreat that you went to here in the place. So you preach the gospel, you guys connect to a life group, connect to the church in general. And the next thing you want to, you want to mentor you. I'm going to say mentor. Yeah. You go through the, the 101 and the 201 book. 101, Seven Steps to Spiritual Growth. 201, 12 Lessons in Christian Leadership. To build your foundation as a Christian. To learn how to be a disciple. To learn what a disciple is. What disciples have and what disciples do. But what, what's, give me one thing of what, this, what a disciple is. Holy. Disciple is holy. Okay, give me one thing that a disciple has. Humility. Humility, yeah. That's in one of the lessons. Uh, one general thing is a disciple has a, is a blessed poem. Give me one for what a disciple does. Make disciples. Builds a local church with disciples. Okay, that's all found in the 201 book. You guys, when a lot of you guys are 201ers, some are 101ers, and we'll be getting to 201 pretty soon. Hopefully, by God's grace. Everyone say, Send. Send. After you guys are trained up in discipleship, you are then sent out, or ordained as an elder and deacon, and then sent out to make disciples. Amen? Mm -hmm. And we, we do this in order to fulfill our ultimate goal of 100,000 disciples, not just regular church attendees. But people who are in discipleship are going to be that follower of Jesus, obeying his commands. Amen? With 50 churches here in Chicago, round number two, and we have 48 more to go here in Chicago, and then 500 around the world, we have about 300 more around the world to go. Amen? How many believe in the, the, the vision, the strategy, and the goal? Yeah. Amen. 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 There we go. Life group, join a life group. And one of the ways to get connected in the 101 discipleship is to go through your life group leaders. Amen? Twice. Okay, Wicker Park, our giving campaign. Uh, every week, you know, we don't have to take this until the end of the month, the first of the month, where you guys can review you guys the report. But we have, we've gone up to $638,035 out of $5,000 with $4,361.65 remaining to go. Okay, we want to clear this out. Okay, how many believe this can be cleared out within the next couple months? Yeah. Hopefully within the next month, maybe maybe not you guys, but I know God. I know God can even use you guys to do this sacrificially, you know, to to zero this out so we have the money to get it back to the other campus. So the campus is secure, they, they get the money back, and then then twenty five hundred at least. To keep us going here, amen. How many believe in this in this church? Amen. 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 I, I would hope that by your amens that it's backed up by what you give, amen. 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 Out of generosity, let it be a heart of generosity, amen. amen. So let's clear out this four thousand in the next couple of months. Now we have five hundred churches around the world, or as far as an ultimate goal, we have just over two hundred. We have three hundred more to go. I want to give you guys a, a report of a pastor in in India. When they're when a pastor admits fellow pastors in India who oversees, you know, a church or more than one church. That pastor's wife died the other day. And the cost of the funeral was $125. Amen. 
Now, to a lot of us, us here in America, that's not a lot of money. That's, we, I would like to pay, I would like to pay $125 just for the, create, the creation of my grandmother a couple of years ago. But even that was more than 100 bucks. Now, they did a funeral, and the pastor admit paid $125 for this pastor to be able to do a funeral for his wife. And then Joe posted a post, posted something up on Facebook of about the $125 and, and trying to get people to, to give in order to, to pay back Pastor Mitt. Because Pastor Mitt, $125 in India is a lot of money, right? How much would that be? Oh, like a thousand oh, of rupees, yeah. right? Exactly. Thousands of rupees for that Pastor Mitt paid it for that pastor. <laughs> now, when Pastor Joe posted the thing, uh, Posted a report on, on Facebook, people gave within like 10 minutes, cleared that amount even, and even gave them more than $125 to give back to them. Because we believe that, that we should be supporting the churches over. That's why we have them, so support them to further their mission. And their mission is the same as ours, to love God, love people, and make disciples through it. Amen? So pray that God will put on your heart our missionaries overseas, our churches in India, Nigeria, Pakistan, Nepal, the big one. We have many churches and these pastors, huh? Nigeria? I said Nigeria. Oh. Before, right? Yeah. There's two different parts in India. In India, yeah, okay. So, we have a lot of pastors overseas that are doing more than we're even doing here. So, some of the pastors are, are overseeing not just one church, but five and ten. Okay, so we need to make sure that these pastors don't get burned out and don't get muzzled. Okay, Timothy, in one of the books of Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, do not, for it is said, do not muzzle an ox while he's treading out the grain. An ox represents a pastor, and a muzzle represents some type of uh, constriction and restriction for that ox to be able to breathe well, to drink water, and to eat. Those are essential things in life, right? And pastors need that, especially the pastors overseas that are, that are overseeing more than one church. It's, it's hard to do, especially if you don't have, if you're struggling to eat, if you're struggling for water, clean water at that, and if you're struggling for shelter. Not just that, the persecution that's going on. So let God put something on your heart to be able to support our missions overseas, amen? Amen. Okay, uh, we believe in, in tithing here, and that's a phrase. Tithing is 10% of your total income, so take that number, move it to the 10 spot, the decimal to the 10 spot, and there's your, your 10%. Make sure you're giving that 10% because the Bible, the Bible commands it for one, and if we don't, it's like stealing from God. God requires that, God says that 10% is his, belongs to him. If you read in the book of Malachi, you know, the people are saying, you know, how God says you, you have robbed me. The people are like, how have, you, how have we robbed you? God says, in tithes and offerings. Make sure you're giving your tithes. If you have a, a steady income or even some type of income, Make sure you're giving 10% of that. And the offering is what you give beyond that. If God puts on your heart to give beyond that 10%, say, and you feel in your heart, I feel, okay, God is, is telling me to give a, so, uh, a certain amount of money. Make sure you're giving that God's telling you. Whatever you have also decided in your own heart based on God. Amen? Now, this is a verse we like to confess here. I'll, I'll open out in open air verbally because we believe that that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when we all speak and confess it, we're all hearing each other say it, and therefore we're gaining faith through the word of God. Amen? Mm -hmm. So let's go ahead and confess this, okay? 
One, two, three. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Amen. And if you guys can give online or if you give at the offering box back there, just make sure if you put your name, if it's your first time giving, put your name and all your info, your address and stuff, because we, we send out letters at the end of the year of your, your financial giving report. Amen. Amen. Okay, to give you guys a summary of the, the past sermons that you know, we have gone over in the nine mountains of influence. First one, family. How to be on top of the mountain of influence in your family. Raising your children in, in a godly home. Mountain of church. Mountain of business, government, media, and arts. Charity, which was last week, and then this week on education, how to take back that mountain of influence in education. Because as as we can see, there is a downgrade in our society of in our education. Schools schools have gone from Bible-based in prayer to the wiping out of the Bible and even prayer. Back in the 80s, there was a woman who petitioned against prayer in schools. Let's go to Matthew 28, 18. Go there in your Bibles, I think, please. Take a Bible. your phone or something. Okay. And whatever mountain you try to take back in these nine mountains of influence, it all comes down to your discipleship. Being a disciple and then making disciples. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, regarding discipleship and great commission, verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So who has the authority? Jesus. And what, what kind of authority? All. all authority in heaven and on earth. That means the, the, the Father gave Jesus authority in heaven and on earth, which the authority was taken back from the evil one, the devil. Verse 19, therefore go and make disciples. Do what? Go and make disciples. Do what? Go and make disciples. Make disciples. Go. You need to go as a command. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always the very end of the age. So education, when you, when you think of education, what do you think of? I think of a school. I think of teachers who teach. So Jesus says, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. So one thing that we need to realize is that Jesus is calling us to be teachers. Okay, teachers of the word of God, of the commandments of God, of the Bible, okay, it's the word of God. It's the foundation. The command and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, to give you a definition of education, it is a formal process by which society deliberately transmits its accumulated knowledge, skills, customs, and values from one generation to another, mainly in schools. Okay? So when you when you think about it, education education is 
is is something just like what we're doing now. Okay, I'm, I'm teaching you guys something, and you guys are learning. Okay, so I'll be the teacher, and you guys will be like the students. Okay, but with when you when you see the history of of, of education and how it started, it's, it, it started just like this: people coming together and learning from one another, namely namely one person or a class to uh, or one teacher and either one pupil. That was a type of discipleship. Discipleship is a, a form of education. Now, in, in our day, what the most popular way that we look at education is in our school system, right? We have K through, through high school and then college, various vocational schools, various uh, schools that, that focus on, on certain subjects, amen? Amen. 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 That's something you can amen to. It's, it's, it's true. I'm not lying. I'm not, I'm not giving you false information about education. Amen. Amen. Do you believe in schools? Do you see that, you see that school across the street, or am I just you know imagining? <laughs> to give you a background of some of the, the historic schools in the U.S. Okay, now these schools, these schools were biblically based. Okay, for example. First of all, who, who's there at uh, Irving Park campus this morning? Okay, so you guys went, okay. So the people that went out there, what is the top school in the U.S.? Harvard. Harvard, right? Dan, you were there, right? No, I was just there. Yeah, you were there. So it was Harvard, okay? When you... When you study the history of Harvard and how it started, how it came to be Harvard, not necessarily the Harvard that, that it is today, but how it was founded. Harvard University was founded in 1643, okay, a long time ago. It's the oldest college founded by an English uh, uh, clergyman, John Harvard. Okay, that's where the school gets its name from its founder, Harvard, John Harvard. He said, to advance learning and perpetuate it to posterity, dreading to leave an illiterate ministry to the churches. Okay? So, John Harvard founded the school in order to, to teach people biblical principles, an illiterate ministry to the churches, to train up clergymen, to advance learning and perpetuate to posterity, dreading to leave an illiterate ministry to the church. And so his, his whole purpose was to train people up in the ministry. It wasn't necessarily for secular occupations. Although it did, it, it, the school did have that in liberal arts. But, and, and one of Harvard's main goals was to, to to educate the Native Native Americans, okay? Caleb, oh man, uh, Chishta of the Wapakawaka tribe, class of 1665. Okay, it was just, is that the hand, right? Yeah, that's him. Right there. He was the first Native American to graduate from Harvard. The first one with a perm, too, I think. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, I'm straight. Uh, straight, I'm straight. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. 
So harder than here's a model of harders, okay? And it still is a model to this day. The early model of harders was Veritas Christo et Ecclesiae. However you pronounce that, meaning truth for Christ and the church. Now when you look at Harvard, Harvard does have a theological seminary, seminary in it still, but and when people apply to Harvard and get accepted, what do they usually go there for? Law, medical, law, medical not non-ministry related stuff. So the majority of people when they think of Harvard, like, okay, I want to go to this top school, you know, and you know, it's going to help me in my, my running for the presidency, Obama went to Harvard. So they still do uh, like uh, Bible college there too? They, they, have a, they do have a theological seminary at first. Still, but their values have, have changed somewhat. They're no longer, uh, their focus is no longer on the Bible. Yeah. Another school, the Oberlin College in 1833. Another Ivy League college founded by a pair of Presbyterian ministers. Uh, John Clay Shepherd and Philo P. Stewart. The second president, the evangelist, the, the famous evangelist, Charles Finney, made it famous for preachers. Charles Finney was like the uh, the Billy Graham of our day. Well, the Billy Graham of his day. Uh, as we know, Billy Graham is a, the, probably considered the, the most famous U.S. preachers and evangelists. Charles Finney was just that in his day. Oberlin was the first college to graduate women and African Americans in 1837 to 62. So you guys see a sort of a comparison between these colleges and the, the purpose for which they were started? Yeah. To educate the, the outcasts of society. Harvard wanted, wanted, one of their goals was to educate the Native Americans, which the, the, the American, and Harvard was started before the Civil, the civil War. As you know, it was, a, it was civil war with the North and the South, or the slavery in the South, and or yeah, slavery in the South, and the abolition of slavery in the North, trying to you know get a common goal in, on, on slavery in general. Now, Harvard wanted to educate the Native Americans because the Native Americans were the, the outcasts of society at the time, and so were African Americans. And Oberlin College was. The first college to graduate women first, because women, their, their roles in society at the time were lower than men, and African Americans in 1837-62. One historian called, called Oberlin the town that started the Civil War due to its reputation as a hotbed of abolitionism. Oberlin was a key stop along the Underground Railroad. So here you have the, the African American slaves going under the the Underground Railroad, in order to get to the north where, where everyone was free, as opposed to the south. And along that way was this college that housed, uh, housed the, the, the African-American migrants from the south, yeah. helped them out. Because that was a value that the, the founders kept, which yeah. was founded in the Word of God. Okay? So here's the first textbook in, in school, 1777. The primer was built on rote memorization. The primer enabled the child to define the limits of his self by relating his life to the authority of God and his parents. So the first book, read our textbooks today. What do they teach? We have, we have mathematics, we have history, which 
history is very selective at times and not really, and it's very political and it's not really, it's usually one-sided. Now, the first textbook, uh, how, many, how many textbooks in our schools today talk about God? None, unless, you know. Yeah, well, actually in some type of private school, which that's pretty much what we have to do nowadays, you know, is to learn about God. So in schools today, our textbooks, especially in science, talk about evolution. They teach that, that we, we started as some type of some type of cell organism and we grew from there to a worm. And uh, it's crazy. So here's an example of what was in, in these books and how they learned. One of the first things they learned, in Adam's fall, he sinned all. Thy wife to men is book of ten. So the first few things they, they learned here is that they're that they're, they're sinning. They're falling. When we open up when we open up our science books, we learned that we we came from from monkeys. <laughs> we, we learned evolution, which says that we, we came from monkeys. We evolved from monkeys. That, that doesn't give us any purpose in life if we're just going to evolve like like years from now we're just going to evolve into something else. We won't even be ourselves anymore. Now humans are the the only the only beings that can rationalize in the capacity in which we do. And so some of some of the books that the children read today, okay? This is this is horrible. King and Queen in two thousand two. The story of a prince who does not like like princesses but falls in love with another prince and they both become king and queen. Uh -huh. So this is an actual book that that children read nowadays. You see how see where our schools have gone? Our schools today are in the postmodern thought. We've been learning this in philosophy of education. Postmodernism is Post meaning after, and modernism after the modernism age, which was all about all about a certain practical way, which was in the old days in the fifties and stuff, which a lot of it because of the, the the standards of society at that time was founded on, on certain values and principles. So postmodern thought is okay. Now we're after that. Now now there's there's no there's no absolute truth. All truth is relative. What's true for me may not be true for you, and what's true for, for Josh may not be true for my wife. They say there's no absolute truth. And so in schools, how this hangs out in schools is that the teacher no longer teaches, but guides. The teacher becomes the guide on the side. Meaning the teacher and his or her postmodern thinking cannot cannot say without being convicted and, and tell a child, no, that, that picture is not, it's not a worm, it's, it's, it's something else. When, when, a child, when a child doesn't know the animal, they can make up a name for it, say, okay, this is that. And, well, no, we, we call it an elephant. And, but the teacher and his other postmodern thought and thinking cannot say, no, that's not what we call it. That's not true. Yeah. Teachers today are actually teaching like, or guiding like that. It is. There is absolute truth. Amen. We can get into a whole philosophical discussion about it, but 
this is not true. That's right. I mean, storyline might, might be true, but that's not how the Bible sees it. The Bible sees, sees marriage and love between a man and a woman that's right. in marriage, yeah. not between man and man or woman and a woman. Now, that's what the textbooks and what is taught in schools is evolution. All organisms on Earth are descended from a common ancestor or ancestral gene pool. We all came from the same place. Current, current species are a stage in the process of evolution with their diversity, the product of a long series of speciation and extinction events. The tree of life is helpful in seeing the past, uh, the past evolution of life. I don't know where you can see this, but the bottom is at, at the root is where we started as, as some type of bacteria or cell organism and constantly growing to worms and then snakes and then into apes and then we humans evolved from the apes. Now there's no, uh, there's really no evidence backing this up. It's all, it's all in theory. That's exactly what it is. It's just, it's a theory. It's no one, it's not established as fact. And even there are a lot of contemporary scientists that are going back and looking at it and, and realizing, okay, it's, it's just a theory, you know? Mm -hmm. No longer it makes sense. But yet they're still teaching that in schools. And, and instead of education nowadays is, is very selective, meaning there, there's someone out there just grabbing out what they want to teach and leaving other things out. For example, they're not, they're not teaching creationism in schools, which is the, the idea of thought that, that the world was created, that it was created by a, a higher being. Yeah. Schools are not teaching that. They're, they want to be selective and just, and just teach what they want. They want to leave God out, and that's the postmodern thought, which Nietzsche, Friedrich Nietzsche, how many of you have heard of him? Mm -hmm. uh, a philosopher, a psychiatrist. He uh, he once he once wrote something uh, with the title "God is Dead." His whole thought that, that God is dead, you know, that, that God is now dead in society, that we have moved beyond God to to ourselves, pretty much. That's the, the postmodern thought, which proved to you, proved to me. Now schools. Because of that thought, because of evolution, which in human evolution, evolution also says that the, the, the fittest one in society is the one that survives. It's the survival of the fittest. Now, when if if it was true back then before humans, it should also be true now, right? Going along with that pattern. Okay, so with that idea. Think about it. Think about Hitler. Think about the all the, the, the racist people in the world. There's still some racist people against African Americans, against other different races, other than the Aryan race, the white race. Hitler of his time was the, the, the racist of the Jews. Yeah. Most famous, probably the most famous racist in the world. Mm -hmm. Hitler, responsible for the, the murders of six million Jews. Hitler, in his in his thinking, his evolutionary thinking, just saw just saw him himself and others, especially Jews, as non or creatures without souls. 
non-human, just just nothing. Because if he came from nothing, if he came from nothing but but a cell organism, then what kind of reality do we really have? Without God, there's really no purpose in life. Then what what does what does it matter if if I you know put an axe in Deanna's head? You know why do I care? Why should we care? She doesn't have a soul. She's not worth anything. She's just gonna, just gonna die, and that's it. And that this this type of thinking has led to stuff like this: school shootings, April 20th, 1999. Student Eric Harris and Dylan Peeble killed 12 students and a teacher and wounded 23 before killing themselves at Columbine, Columbine High School in Littleton, Colorado. March 21st, 2005, 16-year-old Jeff Jeff Weiss shot and killed five schoolmates. 2007, Seung Cho killed 32 people and wounded 25 others before committing suicide, the worst school shooting in, the U- in U.S. history. So this, this type of thought in our, in our education system has led to stuff like this. Really, in, our, in the postmodern thought, which is being taught in schools, is what's true for me may not be true for you. So, Really, how can postmodernists, the people that thinking that have that postmodern thinking that the truth is relative, that it's what's true for me is not may not be true for you, and vice versa, how can they say that this is wrong? Mm-hmm. If you if you yourself are a postmodernist and think truth is is relative, you cannot say that this is wrong. So where do we get morality from? How is morality Form, how do we get our morals and our values? Morals come from God. Because of the survival of the fittest, this is, this is, I'm gonna give you guys a philosophical uh, argument. It's the natural, it's the naturalism, or the evolutionary argument against naturalism. Evolutionary is, is what we, what we talked about here. Naturalism means that everything that everything in the world and in, in our existence is is all natural. Okay, that there's there's no soul. There's just all natural. Okay, we we're just natural beings out of material. Okay, so the evolutionary argument against naturalism, which also goes back to evolution. Okay, and, and refutes evolution too. The evolutionary argument is. Uh, because of the survival of the fittest, that the, the fittest person survives. So, the in all of its on adaptation. So, if if we're if our genes that we're just, we're just bred to survive, okay, to adapt to our our environment, okay. So, if it's if it's cold outside, we're going to adapt and you know put on clothes, mm-hmm. put a jacket, heavier stuff, and we adapt to that in order to survive. And and that's supposedly supposed to be how in evolution as well, survival of the fittest, that we, we took on different um, different appendages, like, like arms and stuff and fingers to grasp things better to, to survive. Okay, so it's a simple example. Now, now in our adaptation and in where we get morals, they all come from the same place, our neurology, everything in your brain. 
And, and some people have said that uh, morals and values and stuff uh, is like a cultural thing. No, because I mean, if you were to go to, let's say, Africa or India and just the people that are in tribes and stuff, we go there, we kill someone's, someone's child. We kill the child, they're gonna, they're gonna retaliate and stuff, like they think that's wrong. And we think it's wrong as well. So it's not just a cultural thing because it, it, it's, it's the same throughout all cultures. Okay, so the evolutionary argument against naturalism is that because of our morality, our morality uh, forms our morality, our, our thinking, and our adaptation. So if it's if we're just bred in our morality to to just survive, then what does morality matter? Like I, I can think, you know, throwing water in my wife's face <laughs> as as a good thing. But what does that matter whether I think it's good or not in order for me to survive? You get it? Is that, that anyone get it? Yeah. yeah. I'm kind of confused. So morality, morality in the school shooting, all, the, all this guy wants to do is survive. Morality doesn't mean anything because, because he's just bred, he's just evolving in order to survive. So morality means nothing. So that, this is the state of where our schools have, have come to. Now, Mitchell prays because we believe that the foundation of education should be Jesus, for one, and then his word. Because we get, we, we know what good morals are. We, God has written his law in our hearts, so we know right from wrong. We know what's good, we know what's bad, and we should live by what is good, and we find out more of what is good based on the Bible. And so at Metro Praise, we want a we want a grammar school here. We want to go to the grammar school and we see a high school. There's gonna be a SUM there, a Bible school, uh, and other community centers that are reach out to the community and, and, and teaching them. That's basis for what education is, amen. Yeah. So three things to do to take back the mountain of education. One we need to believe that Jesus is the foundation of all truth. Okay? John 14, 6, go there with me. Our morals are established through the word of God, through Jesus as truth. Fourteen six, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. The reason the schools are in the state that they're in, the postmodern thought, school, uh, school shootings, is because they took Jesus out. They took prayer out. They took the Bible out of the schools. And look at the state of the schools. I watched a documentary once about... Uh, uh, the school system in some other state, I think it was Boston, and the kids were barely learning, getting behind. The school system, just their education, is behind. This is the selective materials, taking Jesus out, taking prayer out. It is no wonder why the schools are in the state that they are, because they do not have Jesus as the foundation of truth. That's right. Amen. Amen. Two, get the best education you can in your field. So whatever field you desire to go into or already trying to pursue, 
get the best education you can. Because with that, it's gonna come, it's gonna come greater opportunities to be at the top. We are called to be at the top. So the second Peter one five. You there say amen. amen. Peter 1.5 says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and knowledge, self-control. So, God is saying here, through Peter, to make every effort. Why? Because if you look at the verses before it, talking about making one's calling and election sure. In verse 3, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So by by God's divine power, what whatever God is able to do, he has, he has supplied us with what we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. Verse 4, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And that's, and that's why Peter says, for this very reason, because God has, has given us things by his power to live godly, to live in godliness, and to escape the corruption in the world by evil desires, by the, the evil school system, and the, the education that is, that is postmodern. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. The faith that you have in God, that you need to add to it is goodness. Now, faith without deeds is death. And then add to that goodness, knowledge. Why? Because knowledge is power. Right? <laughs> because by knowledge, you're going you're gonna to know, you're know better, better the word of God. You're going to know better the things in your field in order to get on top of that mountain. Amen? Three, get involved in your public school, Matthew 10, 16. You there say amen. amen. Three, get involved in the public school. Matthew 10, 16. Jesus says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. If you're, uh, if you're already working in some type of school, then I'm going to be working some field right in school. She needs to get involved. And in order for her to get an amount of influence in education, she needs to, to step up as a Bible school student that she is, already knowing the Bible, and then getting involved more, not just yeah, she's going, she'll be teaching, but she has the opportunity to, to reach out to these kids. And God was the truth, the truth, the absolute truth in the Word of God, not just what may be true for her and she's not sure if it's for them. <laughs> that postmodern relative, relativist thinking. That's right. And then for homeschool, okay, Luke 2.52.
passage at the end of chapter 2, uh, when Jesus was in the temple, he was, was about 12 years old. His parents were looking for him, and they found him in the temple. But he had, he had gone, I guess he had, he had strayed from his parents along maybe some journey, and they found him in the temple, learning from the priests, learning from you know, the rabbis there on the word of God. And his parents asked him, you know, they were worried. Jesus responded, well, didn't you know I have to, you know, uh, be about, what did he say? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. In verse 52, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So Jesus was at school. Jesus was getting an education at 12 years old while his parents were trying to look for him. And you know, it kind of, it kind of mirrors, kind of mirrors today with, with our parents. Like, a lot of times, you know, we, we spend maybe more time at school or more time trying to, like, when you guys are maybe first started coming to church, I know for me, my mom was drowning and we didn't want, she didn't want me to go out of the house. I needed to go to church. But at one time when, when I left the house to go to church, she got mad at me because I was supposed to be drowning. So I was trying to get an education in the Word of God and she prohibited me. Not that Jesus' parents, his parents were prohibiting him, but they didn't, they didn't understand why he needed to be in the, in, the, in the synagogue searching the scriptures, being taught, getting education. So Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. So Jesus was homeschooled if you didn't know that. In his father's house. <laughs> he was he was homeschooled, learning from his father. Now there were a lot of a uh, lot of uh, misconceptions about homeschool and and homeschoolers, homeschool kids, and and how they're dorky and stuff like that. <laughs> now I used to be homeschooled. I was homeschooled for a year. I saw for a year. Um, it didn't last very long. <laughs> I actually, I actually failed because uh, my dad was in charge of uh, administering the tests and sending the tests into the school, which he never did. So I had to repeat my sophomore year. I almost graduated on time uh, in 2006 in high school, but uh, if I had gone, if I hadn't gone, uh, I would have graduated on time. But let's, let's watch the video again. Can you put up that video? Please watch this video of a kid's experience in, in home school. That's not I'm sorry. Sorry. Uh, 
So I'm in college now, but before that, I was homeschooled. I did all my school at my house. My mom was the teacher and my dad was the principal. And I know what you're thinking. Homeschooled? So that means you were a genius or me? Have you ever been outside? When you walked up to the basement, did you take the frog in the living room? Yeah, well that explains your outfit. People were constantly asking me why I didn't go to regular school. Like I was some kind of leper. Obviously there's a lot of misconceptions about how homeschooling works. So here are the top seven lies about homeschooling debunked. Number seven, homeschoolers are really sheltered. People think that homeschoolers know nothing about pop culture at all. They think they've never heard of Lady Gaga or the coolest latest movies. But think about how nice that sounds. Living in a world where you don't know who Lady Gaga is. That sounds like heaven. But it's not even just pop culture. People think that if a homeschooler stepped outside their front door, they would get completely pulverized by the real world. Well, you know what? If they didn't know that some sex, drugs, and alcohol when I was in middle school makes me sheltered, then yes, I was sheltered. But that doesn't mean I was like, fucking Neil. Son, what if I told you about watching PG rated movies? Now go grab your Bible, we're going to a walk. Oh, and please, all homeschoolers go to church seven days a week. Hi, I am Miss Becky. Jesus Christ is doing my heart. Are you a Christian? Yes. Yeah. 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 I'll give you a joyous news. Do you want to come to my church on Sunday? Okay, that's no problem. We have a prayer group on Saturday. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm pretty good. Why don't you go more fighting? Homeschooling will probably more likely to be regular church attendance. But that doesn't make it sound like that. Number five, homeschoolers don't actually do school. Some people think that homeschooling is a big fat joke. And that kids that are homeschooled are actually getting a free pass to do nothing. They think their parents are like, okay, we're going to go learn about physics at the amusement park. And today's science assignment, I need you to walk in the back door while mom watches Dr. Oz. Now, I'm not saying that homeschoolers don't have to have field trips. But come on, this is just insulting. That's like saying that you don't have clean clothes just because you don't go to a laundromat to wash them. Number four, it's impossible for homeschoolers to have friends. People seem to think that homeschoolers are completely isolated from the outside world. They can homeschool and they think that you live on a farm, or in the wilderness, or in a log cabin. Just anywhere that's an hour away from a They think that if they ask the homeschoolers what their friends are, the homeschooler would say, My family knows my bestest friends, they're all I need. And while this may be true in Florida cases, the vast majority of homeschoolers have just as many friends as you do. They just have to go and ethically seek out friendships. Number three, homeschoolers are really shy. Hey, I heard you were homeschooled. Oh, yeah, I love it too. Pretty cool. Do you like it? Oh, really? Okay. But I like that. Like I said, homeschoolers have to actively seek out friendships. So they're forced to come out of their shell more than other kids. And sure, there are shy homeschoolers, but there's also shy public schoolers too. What's their excuse? There's nothing wrong with being shy anyways. Number two, and this is the dumbest one of them all. Wait for it. Homeschoolers have no lives. Let me get this straight. You spend eight hours a day in a specific classroom at a specific time every day? And I'm the one that's missing out on life experiences?
So homeschooling is not a bad thing. It was, it was actually fun when, when I was in homeschooling for that year. I had, had a, an opportunity to wake up at like 10 o'clock in the morning, start my work at 11, and do a couple hours of work, and I was done. That was it. Now, my dad wasn't very all that adamant about me getting stuff done. He was, he was at work. So, I mean, if, if you, if you in the future want to homeschool your kids, that that's probably what I'm going to do. I haven't talked to my wife about it yet. But <laughs> I'm down. <laughs> but seeing seeing the state of our schools now and the postmodern thinking and their just evil selectivity of material, teaching kids that they came from eight, I, I don't want my kids learning that. There's I, there's a value to education that I have. I want my kids to have. I want them to learn the truth, not a lot. Amen. Amen. So homeschooling is, is good. Consider that. Um, but homeschooling might not, might not be for everyone. So just consider it and pray about it. Amen. Amen. We're just in a worship and uh, and just praise God for the education that that we have here. Amen. Education from the Word of God. We have SUM Bible College if you want to get some biblical training. Uh, you can get a, a BA in biblical studies, sort of concentration in global, global missions, uh, church planting. And there's also a master's program at our school as well, where you can get a master's in, in biblical studies with languages, without languages, or church organization. There's so much education you can get, but in this world, especially for ministry, it needs to be on the top, amen? Yeah. I'm going for my master's after this school sometime, I might take a, a trimester off, but I'm going to go for my master's, eventually a PhD, maybe two PhDs. I don't know, I just want to be educated, and I just want the world to know that I'm not going to take it lightly. There's people out there going to schools that are taking their education so lightly, and they're, they're not even learning what they really need to learn their life. If the schools are teaching them good things, well, actually, yes, they're all practical things that, that are being taught, but I don't want to learn, although I, I have learned it to some extent, but I've learned it after I've already uh, gained some faith in the Word of God. I don't want to learn about evolution or, you know, I don't want my kids to learn about that. I think they came from a monkey. They have no purpose in life. We have no, there's no purpose in love God. Even an atheist guy I know said there's, there's ultimately no purpose in life without God. But I just put values education in heaven. And I hope you guys do too. I hope you see that. And I hope that you, you believe in Jesus as the foundation of all truth. Whatever education you get in life, whether Bible training for ministry, culinary arts, whatever it might be, as long as you have Jesus as the foundation of all truth. Amen? Jesus is the foundation of, of your culinary arts, of your food making. Imagine how much better your food, your food would be. Jesus is the foundation of that too. Jesus, Jesus provided a way for you to make that food. Now we'll love your food. Amen? Okay, see. Yeah, okay. So, why don't we just all stand up and just praise and worship God for, for His truth, amen?